quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. When you're buying stocks, you have no input on how to add value to that stock or that company. With real estate, there are just so many different execution strategies that you can add value to a piece of property. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Reed Bennett. Reed is joining us from Chicago, Illinois. He is a National Council Chairperson of Multifamily at SVN, where he serves multifamily clients in over 170 markets around the country. Reed is a multifamily broker who has invested in several deals. Reed, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing well, Ash. How about you? Very well. It's a pleasure to have you. Reed, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I've been working in the multifamily space since 2001. So that's a little over 22 years. Started brokering apartment buildings on the northwest side of Chicago and then grew my practice to working on apartment complexes, both market rate and affordable housing across the Midwest. And in 2013, I took over the role of National Council Chair of Multifamily for a company called SVN International. We have about 225 offices around the country with about 266 people on the council. And I work deals within the members of the council, as well as our own practice here with our Chicago multifamily group. You went all in on multifamily. Did you ever do any non-residential commercial? Never. I went all in multifamily. There were a couple times, like during the downturn of 2008, where we started looking at other food groups but just never really understood. We tried to do triple net deals for a little bit because a lot of our clients were getting out of multifamily and exchanging into the less management intensive triple net assets. We also looked at government assets and it always came back to multifamily for me. It's always something that there's never going to be a shortage of need for multifamily units, especially in today's market. It's only growing. I think we have 4.3 million units that we need to bring online that we don't have. It's not like 2008 when everybody that had a pulse could get a no-doc loan and go into a condo or a house. So they're going to remain in multifamily. So I've always liked the metrics within multifamily. It's easy to understand. We've heard that a lot, right? A shortage of workforce housing. But then we have certain pockets across the country where multifamily is being overbuilt. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the only places multifamily is being overbuilt is in the class A highly amenitized space. I don't know any garden style workforce housing overbuilding, unless you're talking about in the Dakotas where they overbuilt to build the shale plants. I guess it takes 80 workers to build those plants and then only one worker to work it when they leave. So those are the only areas I know where workforce housing is being overbuilt. The challenge that we've seen over the last probably seven years is all of the new multifamily online is either class A or low-income housing tax credit deals. Otherwise, nothing in the middle penciled out. In terms of the class A, what are your thoughts on that being overbuilt? And now we're seeing office conversions into apartments as well. 
Yeah, the office conversions are very difficult. I was just on a panel here in Chicago. It was about adaptive reuse of office buildings. And the challenge with repositioning an office building is their wide footprints, right? Multifamily needs narrow footprints with windows. So the office buildings, unless you're trying to do like an atrium building, it's not conducive to switching it over. Plus the plumbing stacks are all different. So in most cases, it costs significantly more to convert an office building than it does to just knock the building down and go ground up. And then on the class A, it's really a race to amenitize them, especially here in downtown Chicago. So I was actually just in a building last Sunday. Actually, my sister-in-law lives in a building. They're paying a ridiculous rate. But then when I saw what the amenity deck is for this building, downtown Chicago, I was blown away. I haven't seen one of these in a while. It had a full-size boxing ring in it. It had a wine tasting room. It had a full golf simulator room that had conference tables and party tables. It was amazing what they were getting. I still can buy probably a million and a half dollar home and pay that mortgage for what they're paying for a two-bedroom condo. <laughs> so I, I don't know how sustainable that is on the high end, but that's what we're seeing, especially here in Chicago. Do you think they're catering to the work-from-home crowd? They are to a certain extent because one of the major amenities we're seeing these developers build and offer is a separate private office down in the amenity deck space. Plus they had two huge conference rooms. So you could go down and sign in for one of those if you want to do that. What we saw with the work from home cohort is they left Chicago. They went out to a much more reasonable rental rate an hour, hour and a half, two hours outside of Chicago to rent a much larger apartment for half the price. So work from home allowed them to do that or move out to Montana and work from home. So talking about that post-COVID shift, we had a lot of people move out of urban areas into the suburbs. My opinion is these were young people that were going to move out anyway. A lot of the millennials, the Gen Zs, there's a typical route of graduating college, getting a job living in the metropolitan city center, and then eventually getting older, wanting a yard, a wife and kids and spouse, and moving out to the suburbs. I think COVID accelerated that. Do you think we'll return to a new normal in our metropolitan city centers? It's a good question. And if I knew the exact answer to that, I probably wouldn't be brokering apartment buildings. But I think at least here in Chicago, it appears that that mass exodus out into the suburban markets or further has stopped and they're attracting here in Chicago, it's big 10 universities. When they graduate, they move downtown. The walls do cave in. Once you have a kid, I lived in river North downtown Chicago for 16 years. And we had our first child in a two bedroom, two bath condo. They cave in and you do want to have a larger space and maybe a quieter neighborhood. And so you do move out. I don't know if it accelerated it, but I know that the work from home did accelerate it for a lot of people, especially in the real estate industry. We can do anything we want from our cell phones at this point. It's a good question. And I think the need for space, if you're going to grow a family, is always going to make you move into a lesser populated area like a suburban market. So COVID didn't do anything different to that, I don't think. Yeah, it's no secret that a lot of multifamily operators did not see a rising rate environment coming. The bridge loans, the rate caps are expiring. What are you seeing on the market right now? 
Is there a lot of pain out there? Well, in the market right now, we're still seeing big lag and a delay. There's still this huge bid versus ask gap. So you have the owners and operators of multifamily that if they don't need to sell for any reason, they're not selling because the metrics actually in multifamily have remained pretty robust with the fact that we just talked about the tenants in these apartment buildings, they're not able to do the natural progression and go and buy a home because the inventory is so low because nobody with a 3% mortgage is moving. They're staying renters. So the sellers are saying, I'm not discounting my price of my apartment complex because I just raised rents $150 and nobody's moving out. The only deals that we're selling right now are deals that have three buckets. One would be if it has an assumable loan that basically was put on in 2020, 2021, enough equity in the deal, the seller has enough equity where they can provide seller carry and drop an articles of agreement. And then the third is going to be a distress situation like you mentioned. We haven't seen a ton of distress hit the multifamily space as of yet. You have short-term bridge debt that's coming due that is where we're going to see, I think, most of the pain when the rates have tripled in some instances with these owners. Is SVN doing anything to prepare for that transition or what's on the horizon? Absolutely. SVN has an asset recovery team that's been talking with lenders for years in advance of this. Actually, we thought this was going to happen in March of 2020 when everything shut down. We thought there was going to be this mass wave of delinquencies. I do a national multifamily call within SVN, and it was always the last Thursday of the month. We now do it quarterly. So I'll never forget the call at the end of April where I had a gentleman on from Fannie and one on from Freddie, and they were telling the people on the multifamily call, you should be telling your owners right now to expect 50% collections at best going into May of 2020. And the other gentleman came out and said, look, I'm going to be a little more doom and gloom and say that you should expect 25% collections at best. That never happened. So we were ramping up during that time period, expecting a huge wave of distress situations. So we have single points of contact that are working with different lenders across the country, preparing and dealing and talking about these current situations. Reed, how can our best ever listeners be one of the people that is in front of you trying to get these deals? Well, they can stay in contact with me. If you want to sign up for our, our newsletter, they can reach out to me anytime. You want me to give you email account? Let's do that and we'll do it again at the end of the show. But yeah, go ahead. Sure. You can reach out to me at reed.bennett at svn.com. It's R-E-I-D period B-E-N-N-E-T-T at svn.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm very active on both of those social media platforms where deals are actually getting done on those two platforms right now. So we welcome everybody on this platform to meet up there. What's your advice for some of our best ever listeners that want to get in front of you and score some of these deals? What's the best way to get your attention, get in good with you, show that you're a legitimate buyer? Well, I would just like to talk about their acquisition criteria, understand it a little bit about where they're looking. And then I always would love to hear about the last three acquisitions that they were involved in so I can get a better understanding of what they've accomplished at that point. 
And then it's just about having conversations. Typically, I find I'm having eight to 10 conversations with somebody at minimum before I ever even complete a transaction with them. Interesting. Will the lender who holds this asset, would they typically finance the new buyer? You're talking about on a distressed asset? Well, it totally depends. And again, we have not seen a lot of these lenders. We've done a number of BOVs for lenders. And in some instances, they might have already had one of their borrowers that they've worked with in the past submit an offer. And when we tell them where we think the range is, if they're close enough with their borrower, they've been making the deal because they've already had a relationship with that current borrower. What is a BOV? That's a broker opinion of value. Got it. A lot of the lending institutions, especially if I go back to 2008, 2009, 2010, the lenders would reach out to a number of brokers and ask for a broker opinion of value. They would do that rather than go to an appraisal company to do a full-blown appraisal. And typically, they would utilize these broker opinion of value to know exactly how much they were going to write down their loan. Because most of the lenders do not want to get into the chain of title. I'll never forget, there was a deal here in Chicago that a lender took back a property and it was a California style. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, where you you walk in kind of like a motel and there was one railing going up to the second floor. And once the tenants learned that the bank was taking it back, one of the railings collapsed. There was a staircase that collapsed and I think there were 40 units in there. And I think 30 of the tenants were all laying on the railing outside because they knew the, le- the lender had taken it back and they wanted to set up a class action lawsuit against the lender. So lenders do not want to take this back. They're not in the business to own real estate. They're only in the business to lend money on real estate. So a majority of these deals will most likely, if they end up selling them, will go on a short sale basis. And once this asset becomes toxic, the lenders want them off their books as soon as possible. That's correct. Will SVN manage the properties in the interim or will they just find a buyer? Yeah, we have a number of different management entities across the country within SVN. And yes, we will third-party manage these opportunities for anybody that is looking in a market that they currently do not have management on the ground. And... Your advice for individuals going to lenders, similar to what you're doing. You're talking about going to lenders to try to get the list of the REO potential? Yes. And potentially manage properties in the interim if they already do that. Well, you're talking about like in a receivership capacity. If you are looking to become a receiver as a management entity, I would be reaching out. You might be late to the game at this point, but start finding out who is running the special assets departments of banks. Special assets didn't exist for a while after the initial downturn of 2008, 9, and 10. That all went away. But what ends up happening is the people that are brought up to the position of special assets within a bank typically were the lenders, the guys that were making the deals and putting the loans together. So they'll become a special assets person that if you're a management company, you need to be talking to these people and start talking about the fact that you would be interested in taking over the receivership role for these banks. The thing that I'm hearing in this market, which what happened a lot in the 2008, 9, 10 downturn was you'd have these groups go in as receiver who also were third-party management companies. They would drop the rental rates $100 to $200 
just to fill up the property, then they would say, hey, bank, at a seven cap, this is what this property is. We'll just go ahead and buy that. And deals were getting done that way. And then they just raised the rents back up. I've heard that lenders have what's called seven-year amnesia, where they forget about all of that. So it's yet to be seen whether that will happen again if deals start coming back to the table, which they will. Yeah, that's a good point. We bought a number of properties in 2012, 13 from receivers, and each story was worse than the last. It was bad. And these receivers, often the ones that we bought didn't do much to manage the property. They were getting paid a property management fee, but they didn't pay the bills. They didn't renew leases. They didn't advertise. They didn't make improvements to the property. They really just let them go. And I think in the lender's mind, it was being professionally managed when it really wasn't. Absolutely. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you want to do bigger and better commercial real estate deals? Take your real estate capital raising efforts to new heights with syndicationattorneys.com. With more than 20 years of real estate and investing experience, syndicationattorneys.com goes beyond just creating legal documents. They educate you on ethical and legal capital raising strategies. Plus, they offer a host of free resources, including their best-selling capital raising books, numerous articles, and their popular podcast, Raise Private Money Legally. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more, more deals, bigger deals, and better deals. So if you want attorneys with premier experience helping syndicators and fund managers raise capital, go to syndicationattorneys.com today to schedule an appointment and unlock your maximum capital raising potential today at syndicationattorneys.com. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? The answer is more than you think. Government records, social media posts, even your self-reported info, it's all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. Anyone on the web can get your private details. This can lead to a higher risk of identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. I hate those spam calls. Well, I recently found a solution, and this is a new service called Delete Me. When I registered with Delete Me, they reviewed nearly 1,500 online listings and found more than 40 data brokers that had my personal info, my address, social security number, even info about my relatives. It's creepy stuff. Right at this moment, Delete Me is working to remove my information from those listings so I can take back control of my personal info and have a peace of mind I deserve and you deserve. Delete Me is on a mission to safeguard your privacy, and right now you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash Joe. Use promo code Joe. Only way to get your 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash Joe. Enter promo code Joe at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash Joe. Promo code Joe. Stay safe out there. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, 
visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. All right, good. So we got a bit of a playbook. Talk to you, talk to lenders. If you are a good property manager with a track record, look into potentially becoming a receiver. I wouldn't play the game that they did back in the day where you do crooked stuff to try to get the property. Do the right thing. There's ways to make money and do the right thing. Personally, Reed, are you wanting to invest in multifamily seeing what's on the horizon? Oh, absolutely. I'll invest in multifamily. We invest a lot with our clients. I don't see any investment out there, any food group that is better than multifamily. I'm biased, of course, but it's just, again, you can office remotely. You can shop virtually. You can't live virtually at this point. So you need a place to live. The metrics are going to be there. I think we've become a renter nation over the last few years. People want to be nimble. They don't necessarily want to be encumbered with a mortgage and a house that you have to sell if you want to move across country or to another location. So I think the metrics are just going to continue to be there in multifamily. Back to an earlier conversation that we had, would you prefer to invest in workforce housing or class A properties? Workforce housing is what I know. That's a rent by necessity. That to me is just a space that on the top end, you can get undercut. On the bottom end, there's a lot of barriers to entry to enter affordable housing. Workforce housing, it's always going to be a mainstay. And I would focus most of my efforts on the workforce housing space of multifamily for sure. Younger apartment brokers, how do they compete with somebody like you? If they're new to the game, they want to get to your level. What's your best advice to them? I would say get coached immediately. I wish I would have hired a coach early on in my career. I hired a coach. I was about 17 years into the business and that coach, he found things that I was doing wrong for 17 years, that if I would have corrected those, it would have been a major game changer. It was a major game changer. So I would get a coach, somebody that knows what they're doing, put a process in place. This is not rocket science. C and B students at best, It's somebody that doesn't mind the mundane doing the same thing over and over and over. The smartest guys in the room that have come to our brokerage didn't make a deal because they thought they were the smartest guys in the room. It's the people that can maintain a schedule, do the same thing over and over, understand the market and become a specialist, whether it be a product type, a geographic area or within a certain product type, a specific niche. And I would say you have to find that niche and focus on it and don't leave. Reed, right now, it seems there's so much money on the sidelines. And I hear about people making legitimate offers, but getting beat by groups that are coming in all cash. Any thoughts on that and how you compete against that? What space are you hearing about all cash deals getting done? You talking smaller multifamily deals? Yeah, not in the 30, 50 million dollar range, but okay. much smaller. Yeah, because I was going to say a lot of the owners I'm talking to are bored right now because they can't have deals pencil out. Obviously, cash is king when it comes to deals that are somewhat distressed. We're not seeing cash buyers beating out your typical buyer in the deals. Typically, we're working 100 units plus. Those groups are sitting back and waiting and they're being patient. At one of the conferences here in Chicago, some of the largest owners and operators, that was the main buzzword was patience. Don't force yourself onto a deal. Don't make the numbers look better on a deal just so you can acquire it. Just be patient and wait for a lot of this uncertainty, especially within the debt markets, 
to funnel its way out. And I'm not asking you to look into your crystal ball, but your thoughts on rates moving forward. Yeah, my crystal ball broke a long time Mine ago. Mine did but too. <laughs> rates moving forward. So historically speaking, rates come down in election years. Historically speaking, if you look at the charts and graphs that we've been paying attention to, that would indicate next year rates would come down. I've heard really great arguments for them going up and great arguments for them going down. But I don't see rates going down anywhere near where they were in the peak during 2020 to 2022. I would say five and a half plus is going to be the new normal for a while. But again, it's an election year and it's going to be a crazy election year from what I'm watching. Reed, in my opinion, it seems like only real estate people and Wall Street people think the arrow's always going to go up and to the right. And I've heard so many of them say rates will be down by Q1 or Q4 2023. Do you think real estate people look through rose-colored glasses when it comes to rates and prices and cap rates? I would say, but you're also talking about, we've had what, 13 Fed rate hikes in 18 months or whatever it is. Nobody could have predicted that. I would have bet my house that that would never happen. So, of course, I think people within the real estate industry are looking through rose-colored glasses because they're hoping, especially if they have a large portfolio, that the value is maintained. And when you see rates go up like they've gone up 400 basis points, it just decimates any kind of a value increase that you thought you had in your portfolio. And then you're talking about insurance rates wiping out three, four years of rental rate hikes and taxes on top of that. So I think you have to look through rose-colored glasses if you're sitting there with a substantial portfolio. Yeah. And insurance, as we speak now, there's a hurricane hitting Florida and rates have gone so high already. There's no slowing down in insurance rates. Your opinion on that? I don't know how owners are making sense of deals in hurricane areas. My dad lives in Florida and he's still fighting with the insurance companies over last September's hurricane. And now this is coming back through. So I don't know how you make sense of that. And I'm just seeing it really devastate a lot of those areas when you're either going uninsured in some places because you can't afford it. But that on top of real estate tax increases in certain areas and then the inflationary pressures on a lot of the other expenses employment, you can't find people that are willing to work to come and, and be on your payroll. It's a major pressure on the expenses of these multifamily assets. I don't know how you make these things pencil out with the insurance. I agree. They barely pencil out as it is. And when you find one that does and you get the insurance quote, you can't do it. So yeah, that's a tough situation down there. Reed, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate investing advice is get started early. I like it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Get started early. If you're young and single, buy a four-unit apartment building because you can still get residential financing. Live in the worst unit, rent out the other ones, and start building your portfolio that way. If you're not in the real estate space, find a well-heeled general partner and invest on the LP side with them. But you have to make sure those people have gone through a downturn. A lot of the syndication groups that popped up over the last three to five years have not gone through a downturn. And all they were talking about is IRRs and your three to five X returns on your income. 
you're a seasoned individual, so I want to get your opinion on stocks versus real estate over time. Well, again, I'm biased. Stocks, you can't go borrow 75% to buy a stock. You can't do a cost segregation study on a stock and fully depreciate the asset. I just don't think there's anything like real estate investing from the tax benefit standpoint to what you can actually do physically to it. When you're buying stocks, you have no input on how to add value to that stock or that company. With real estate, there are just so many different execution strategies that you can add value to a piece of property. Again, I'm biased on the real estate aspect. Read aggressive underwriting seems to have gotten a number of people in trouble with rising rates, bridge loans. Do you think today people are underwriting more conservatively or really as conservatively as they need to be? Or do you still see aggressive underwriting? Well, it doesn't matter. You can't underwrite aggressively right now if you're going to get a loan because the banks are shooting it down. So you're going to underwrite as aggressively as you want. But if you're going out to actually try to fund the deal, it's being stopped at that point. Banks for a certain period of time were actually considering pro forma projections. They are not. They're afraid of their own shadows right now. So it doesn't matter how, unless you're buying all cash, you can underwrite as aggressively as you want. Lenders are shooting you down at the table. You mentioned a lot of big groups are exercising patience. Do you see that with lenders as well? Them kind of pausing on borrowing? Absolutely. I was on a panel here in Chicago and one of the lenders was saying, all we're doing is saying no. And then I said to him, so what are you doing? And he kind of had a long pause because I think once you have a lender tell you ridiculous parameters of what they're willing to lend, you know, they're not lending. So if they're saying, I want a one, three, five debt coverage ratio, things of that nature, you know, they're not lending at this point. Yeah. And for the best ever listeners, my advice is even if you have your lender of choice with a long track record, when you're entering into a deal to get financed, have at least two or three lenders, maybe a lending broker, because these appetites are changing week by week and it's unbelievable, but there's still lenders out there that are maybe a little bit younger and more hungry to do loans. They're up and coming. So yeah, it's a crazy landscape out there with lending. Yeah. Well, and to that point, that's the big challenge with this market is that the buyers are much more nimble and they're adjusting the pricing much faster than the seller's expectations because they're the ones that are going out and trying to obtain the debt. And when you're sitting here and deals are not penciling out, they're the ones that are able to adjust a lot quicker than the seller's expectations. It's going to take sellers another four or five months to get past the fact that 2021 was over 600 days ago. Reed, is SVN doing anything to help sellers realize that and maybe offer seller financing to get deals done? SVN for the most part is a brokerage firm and a property management firm. So what we do is we have as many calls as we can and reaching out to a lot of the owners and operators in our markets and sharing information with them. I think this is the time period where you need to absorb as much information as possible to make the best decision. And that's what we're doing. So we are offering the owners and operators of multifamily in our markets all of the information that they need to make the best decision about what to do with their specific property or buying additional property in the immediate future. Does that mean you're encouraging seller carrybacks at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. If they have enough equity in a deal, for sure. 
And if they don't have a current loan with a due on sale clause and they can do that, again, as long as they're drafting articles of agreement that are extremely tight where they don't have to go through a lengthy foreclosure process in order to get the property back, it's a fantastic option because you also don't have to pay capital gains tax on the portion that you're not receiving as a seller. And what we're telling these owners is if you offer 2021 financing and structure, you might get somewhere close to a 2021 price. Anything short of that, it's 2023 and next year will be 2024. And so you have to wake up to that fact at this point of where the debt market is. Reed, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, Reed, what's the best ever book you recently read? The best ever book I recently read is a book by James Nelson called The Insider's Edge to Real Estate Investing. He lays out some of the points that I've known for the last 22 years, and he puts it all into one book. It's one of the best books I've read recently. What was your biggest takeaway from that book? The biggest takeaway was how he mapped out the capital stacks and the different, uh, I guess it would be the different risk for each part of the capital stack that I've never seen it presented that way. Just very simple and in a way that you can get ramped up within the commercial real estate industry quickly with this book. Reed, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I coach a number of real estate brokers around the country. I also am helping a lot of the younger people in the industry ramp up quickly, like you said at the very beginning. And doing that has been really rewarding to help a lot of these people ramp up as quickly as possible in, in this business because it's a very challenging business. Do you recommend people going into commercial brokering today? Absolutely. This is the best time to get into commercial brokerage because we typically say it takes at least 12 to 24 months to start making deals. And you don't want to be jumping into this business when it's hot and when the senior brokers and everybody else is clamoring around with a lot of deal maintenance. When things are slow, this is the time to start learning and to position yourself for when the market returns. This is the best time to get into commercial brokerage. And Reed, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? They can reach out to me anytime on my cell phone at 773-251-7342. I gave you my email earlier, and then you can also reach me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And if you would give us that email one more time. It's Bennett at svn.com. That's R-E-I-D period b-e-n-n-e-t-t at s-v-n samvictornancy.com Reed, thank you for sharing a lot of unique perspectives from your 22 years in this business everything from how to approach brokers lenders how to become a receiver how to manage properties and what the current outlook is on the market thank you again for your time today absolutely thanks ash best ever listeners thank you so much for joining us if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a five-star review share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it also follow subscribe and have a best ever day hi best ever listeners joe fairless here again and one last thing before you go would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors free tools and resources and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content well if so Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.